service this morning, I just I felt the, an uneasiness in my spirit. And there's always a degree of uh, nervousness or anxiety anytime you have to do any public speaking. Uh, I think my kids asked me one time, said, do you get nervous when you preach? I said, every single time. Uh, but it's not the fear of public speaking. Uh, it's that we're dealing with eternal matters here. Every day, every Sunday that I preach, I know this might be the last time Amen. somebody has the opportunity to hear the gospel. Amen. And I got to tell you, I feel such a heaviness in my spirit this morning. I just can't shake it. Can't shake it. Folks, we're living in the last days. We are living uh, in the time that the Bible prophesied about. And uh, I just, I would hate for anybody to leave this world without Jesus Christ. Uh, what a terrifying thought. Eternity is a long time. A terrifying thought. You say, well, this is Father's Day, Henry. You're supposed to preach about happy things. Well, I'm going to preach about one of the great fathers of the Bible to emulate his example. But uh, I just want you to take to heart this morning the things that I'm going to say. Because I had planned to preach about Adam. Uh, you remember I preached about Eve on Mother's Day? And I had every intention of preaching about Adam uh, today. Uh, but early in the week, I was praying and preparing, and it just would not come together. I said, okay, Lord, whatever it is you want me to preach, that's what I'll preach about. He said, I want you to preach on the father of Methuselah. And, uh, and I knew who that was. Maybe you do too, but his name's Enoch. Uh, most, most people, even if they're not familiar with the Bible, they're familiar with Methuselah. Uh, he has a designation of, of being what? Oldest man. For a long time, my kids thought that was me. <laughs> but come to find out, Methuselah's got me beat for, by a few centuries. But uh, uh, I think there's some insights to be gained and to be gleaned there. So let's go to Genesis chapter 5 this morning. And I may not be very long-winded this morning. I'm just going to go until the Holy Spirit's done with me. Genesis chapter 5. And it begins in verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now this is kind of unique. Um, the only other time that phrase is used is in Matthew's gospel. And it's interesting because it begins the genealogy of, uh, of the last Adam. This is the first Adam. The only other time it's used is of the last Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness. Now when, when Adam was created, he was made in the image of God. But ever since then, his descendants have borne Adam's image, which is a fallen image. Now we're still created in the image of God, but we all bear the mark of our first father, Adam. We all have a sin nature, um, even the preacher. I know that comes as a big shock to you. We all have a sin nature that we inherit. That's why every single person in the world needs to be saved. 
Nobody's good enough to go to heaven on their own merit. He begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and he called his name Seth. Seth means appointed. And all the days, excuse me, and the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were how many? 800 years. That was a long time. And he begat sons and daughters. By the way, this will answer your question, where did, where did uh, Cain's wife come from? It's because Adam had a bunch of kids. And back then, it was before the law of Moses, you could marry your sister. I got a little joke that will help you remember that. Where did Cain uh, get his wife from? <laughs> Cain married his brother's wife because he was, his brother's sister because he was able. <laughs> I just, I messed that joke up, didn't I? Cain married his brother's sister because he was able. <laughs> now, we don't do that anymore. That's against the, you know, uh, the laws of God. But back then, it was not only a, uh, able but necessary populate the earth so that's where Cain's wife came from we're going to talk about Cain next week I think I think I preached on him once before but I'm feeling like I need to go back and revisit that so Adam lived 930 years interesting phrase here and he died this proves number one that God was telling the truth God said, in the day that you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And it also proves that Satan was a liar. Because Satan told Eve, what? You shall not surely die. But what does the Bible say? Adam died. He died. Now, he, he died spiritually there in the garden. But he died physically here after living 900 years. And 30 years. And Seth lived 105 years and he begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and he begat sons and daughters. It's only listing one son because this son is in the line of Jesus Christ. This is what we would call the seed son. Okay? That's important. Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. All the days of Seth were 912 years, and he did what? He died. Genesis chapter 5 reads like the obituary of the Bible. Now, I used to work for Wixie Radio, and uh, uh, it hadn't been that long ago I worked for him, but back in the old days, every day, I think twice a day, but I know at lunchtime, at 12 o'clock, the radio station would do something. Does anybody remember what Wixie used to do at 12 o'clock every day? The obituaries. And they would drone this music, this organ music, like a funeral parlor. You know, da, 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 playing a dirge. And old Bob Rogers would go through and he'd read everybody's obituary. And my grandmother, that's one, that's one memory I have of my mama Haney. Every day, she had, she'd go in the kitchen, had a little short, a little AM radio in there, and she'd turn that thing to Wixie, and we'd listen to the obituaries every day. And I thought, this is the most morbid thing. <laughs> I said, Mama, why do you like listening to this? 
She said, well, I want to know if it's anybody that I know. Yeah. And, and eventually, uh, Archie over at the station, he quit playing the obituaries. He just got sick of it. And do you know he got all kinds of hate mail and angry phone calls when he quit playing the obituary? You would have thought he'd have, I don't know, said Santa Claus wasn't real or something. But he, he, uh, he got rid of the obituaries. But Genesis 5 reads like the obituary of the Bible. So-and-so lived, uh, begat a son, had sons and daughters, and he died. We're seeing the effects of the curse here, aren't we? Verse 9, Enos lived 90 years and begat, King James says Canaan, this should be Kenan with a K, but you know, I'm not going to split hairs over that. Enos lived after he begat Kenan 815 years, and he had other children. He begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years. And he did what? He died. You're seeing a pattern here, aren't you? They lived, they had a son a seed son, then they had other sons and daughters, and then they did what? They died. And unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, which I believe that he could and will, every one of us is going to leave this world. Death's batting a thousand so far. Well, almost. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Where am I at? Verse 11. All the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. Verse 12. And Kenan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. Aren't you glad you didn't have to pronounce that? <laughs> that's the female, uh, that's the male version of my mom's name, which is Mahala. It means praiser. His name means praiser of God. L on the end means praiser. Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel. 840 years begat sons and daughters. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he did what? He died. Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years, and he begat, uh, English says Jared, it should be pronounced Yared, Yared. But I'm going to humor everybody here and call him Jared. <laughs> As my mother said, my mom always say, don't get above your raisin. You know. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about here. After he begat, uh, Mahalalel lived after he begat Yared, or Jared, 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he did what? Died. Jared lived 162 years, and he begat Enoch. Mm, interesting. Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he did what? He died. They lived a long time, but they still died. Lived a long time, but they still died. But you know, if you're a Christian, that's not a tragedy. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, just a little funny aside here. You know what I was thinking the other day? Uh, I was thinking about old Lazarus. You know, imagine if you were Lazarus. You've been dead for four days, and you're in heaven. Checking everything out, you know, walking the streets of gold. 
thinking, man, I made it. I ain't got nothing to worry about no more. My cares are over with, right? My cares are over with. And then all of a sudden, uh, Lazarus, uh, I don't know how to break this to you. Uh, we're breaking protocol today. You got to go back, right? And imagine Lazarus coming out of that grave, you know, with a mummified... And his sisters are like, hallelujah, Lazarus is back. And Lazarus opens eyes. He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? I got to come back. I'm coming back to this place. So, uh, but, you know, for Lazarus. And by the way, Lazarus died again after he was raised from the dead. Everybody that Jesus ever healed died. Come on. Everybody that Jesus ever healed died again. I just wanted to, you know, talk about Lazarus a little bit. I've been wanting to do that, and this, this gave me an opportunity. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you, Lord, for letting me do that. I, I felt a release in my spirit to share that. Hopefully God laughs at some of these jokes, too. I know he, he has to have a sense of humor. I mean, look at me. <laughs> I didn't say look at you. I said look at me. Okay, verse 21 says Enoch lived 65 years and he begat Methuselah. What do we say about folks? Well, he's as old as Methuselah. Now, interesting thing here in verse 22, and Enoch walked with God. When did he walk with God? After he begat Methuselah. That's interesting. Notice the pattern is broken too. Every, everybody else lived and died. But it doesn't just say that Enoch lived, right? Enoch did what? He walked with God. After he begat Methuselah, 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Another break from the pattern. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. The Hebrew literally says he was there, and then he wasn't there. <laughs> For God took him. God took him. Interesting thing here. Uh, Enoch had the shortest lifespan of any of these patriarchs here, and his son had the longest life. We'll get back to that here in just a minute. Enoch walked with God after he bet, begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. That's interesting to me. Apparently something happened when he had a child that changed everything. I remember when Abby was born, my, my firstborn, and Eric Cook, some of you may know him, he's the director of missions for Union Baptist Association. I'm going to get him to come preach one day here soon. You'll love him. Dear friend of mine, he dedicated my babies. He married Abby uh, and AJ. Um, Eric was in the hospital with me when Abby was born. He said, I'm going to tell you, Henry, he said, this is going to change your life forever. And he said, I don't just mean the responsibility of it. He said, you'll never look at God the same. And I thought, whatever. You know, I'm a young preacher. I know everything. 
Any of you remember back when you used to know everything? Yeah, 16. <laughs> Maybe for some of us it was 13 or 14. And then at some point as a parent, you're the dumbest person who ever lived. And, and then gradually the pendulum swings back. And, uh, but I remember Eric said, uh, you're going to feel differently when this baby comes into the world. And you know what? He was right. It's a time when a lot of people say, you know what? I need to have my kids in church. I need to raise my child with the same values that I was raised with. Changed him. After he begat Methuselah, the father of Methuselah walked with God after he begat Methuselah. And he walked with God for 300 years after that. Can you imagine? How many of you have been walking with God for 100 years? Nobody, because nobody got the cake for being over 100, right? <laughs> Man, it's tough, ain't it? Come on. Living for God's not easy. It's not easy. But he walked with God for 300 years. And you can say, well, uh, Enoch didn't have the same issues that we had. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. Read the Old Testament. They had issues just like we do. They had family problems. They had stress, anxieties, cares, fears, worries. And listen, he lived in the time right before God wiped out the world with a flood. These were dark times. So tell me why, you know, we come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't walk with God, don't we? Well, if I didn't have so much pressure on my job, I could walk with God. If I didn't have, if I didn't have these kids to raise, I could walk with God. If I, if I wasn't married, I could walk with God. Enoch lived in a dark, dark period. The antediluvian period was dark. And it was one of the most wicked times in, in, on the planet. And, and I suggest to you that there was more going on than just the average sin here. And I'll get into that at some point. It'll probably upset some of you to learn what actually is going on in Genesis chapter 6 but you say well the, Bible, uh, the flood came because of sin well if that's the case we better go get a life jacket <laughs> they were dark times but he walked with God um, let's do a little composite sketch now of Enoch let's go now to Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great hall of faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. More is said about Enoch in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. He just got that little, little paragraph there in Genesis. That was the summation of his life, by the way. He walked with God and he was not. Hebrews chapter 11. When you get there, say hallelujah. And those of you that don't like to speak, just worship silently in your pew. <laughs> We're all different. We're all different. So, some folks raise their hands. Some folks clap their hands. Uh, some folks say amen. Some say oh me. <laughs> but, but Ronnie's not here today, so some of y'all are going to have to pick up the slack in the amen corner. I'm just telling you. Brother Ron, if you're watching this, I hope you're relaxing on a beach somewhere and not thinking about anything 
pressing. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. We might use the word rapture there. It was the first rapture in the Bible. And he was not found. Remember Genesis says he was there and then he weren't there. Sometimes I use bad grammar just for dramatic effects. So don't get nervous. God translated him. For before his translation, everybody say before. Sometimes we just read things and we skip over it. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Hmm. Before he was raptured, God let him know that he pleased him. That's interesting to me. Very interesting to me. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, as you read Hebrews 11, there's a lot of heavy hitters in there, right? I mean, Abraham, father of faith, had a son in his old age. Noah builds the ark. Samson does mighty exploits. Gideon's there. David is there. He killed the giant. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there in a matter of speaking. Daniel's there in a manner of speaking. Heroes of the faith. Do you know what it says about Enoch? It says that Enoch had a, trend, he had a testimony. We don't read of him doing anything extraordinary. Amen? He was an ordinary guy just like you and me. The only thing we know about Enoch is he had a testimony. I love a good testimony. But sometimes we're in love, we're in love with the rags, the riches, from the guttermost to the uttermost testimony, aren't we? We love to hear somebody talk about how they were in the Hell's Angels and they got saved, or you know, they used to drink uh, you know, two bottles of vodka a day and then God cleaned them up. Those are great testimonies. God can do that, by the way. He's still in the delivering business. He still saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. There's no, you can't run away from God. I don't care where you are. He's, he can still save anybody. Don't write anybody off for heaven's sake. There are no such thing as lost causes with God. Somebody need to hear that. But what about the testimony of a guy who just goes to work every day? He's a good neighbor. He doesn't steal he doesn't drink or smoke or, or whatever, but he still needs Jesus. You see? And I can almost picture Enoch being that kind of a guy. He's just an ordinary guy, but he, he has an awareness that he needs God. And he may not have done anything marvelous by worldly standards. We'll talk about Cain next week, but you look at the line of Cain, and they have all these worldly accomplishments. They do. No earthly accomplishments for Enoch, but he had something. He had a testimony. I want to ask you, do you have a testimony? Can you appoint to a time in your life where God transformed you? To use New Testament vernacular, where you became born again. Enoch had this testimony. 
that he pleased God. Now, you're still in Hebrews 11. We often read verse 6 out of context. But you have to read verse 6 in context because it's still talking about Enoch here. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He didn't say must believe there's a God. Must believe that he, personal pronoun there, masculine by the way. That he is. See, Yahweh, Jehovah God, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, they're different. You see, all the other gods, they're not knowable. But our God is relational. I don't read about Enoch doing anything for God. Come on now. But Enoch spent time with God. Enoch knew God. You see, I'm telling you what God's been stirring me. And he's told me, Henry, don't you take any comfort in the fact that you work for me. Don't you put any assurance in the fact that you're a preacher. Because I'm going to tell you what, there's going to be a lot of religious people in hell. Read your Bible. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. These are, these are not just spectators either, folks. These are not pew sitters. These are people active in ministry. We prophesied in your name. We did all kinds of stuff in your name, God. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. He didn't say you never, he didn't argue with him. He didn't say you never did, did anything for me. He said, you didn't know me. We don't read about Enoch doing anything necessarily. But Enoch had a relationship with God. And at the end of the day, it's not what you do, but who you know. It's who you know. Let's go now to the book. Well, I'm not finished. Here, hold on one second. <laughs> I don't have any notes here. We're going by the seat of the pants here and by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or just forget about the seat of the pants stuff. Help by the power of the Holy Spirit. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know what I think? And I think, I think I'm on good solid ground here. I think God told Enoch he was going to go home early. Because before his translation, he had this testimony that he did what? That he pleased God. How did he know that? It says that Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. How did he know? I think God told him. Here's how I picture it, folks. You know that early on in the Bible, we see... God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I think that's what Adam, before he fell, I believe that there was a glory on Adam and Eve. There was no fear whatsoever. There was just unfiltered, unbridled fellowship and communion with God. That time's a coming again for you and me one of these days. It's coming again, but immediately after sin, what happened? They heard God as in other times walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But this time they didn't have fellowship with him. What did they do? They hid because they were afraid. Okay. I picture it like this. 
How many of you folks like to walk? Anybody like to walk? I like to walk. It's good exercise for you. How many of you like to walk with a buddy? Any of you like to walk with a buddy? A few of you. So I don't have any friends. <laughs> well, I'll walk with you as long as it's not too hot. <laughs> I picture Enoch walking with God day after day after day. And at the end of the day, God says, okay, Enoch, it's time for you to go back home. And then one day they're walking, and God says, you know what, Enoch? Today we're not going to go to your house. Today we're going to my house. Amen. <laughs> Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Let's go now to the book of Jude. Right before Revelation. Right before the apocalypse. Book of Jude. We're just forming a little composite sketch here of Enoch. Book of Jude. Now Jude's going to reveal something to us that we didn't learn in Genesis. I love these, these uh, New Testament, I call them Easter eggs. They, they reveal these little mysteries that we, that we didn't know in the Old Testament. Everybody in the book of Jude now? All right. Now look in verse 14. Now the book of Jude, just to give you some context... This book is, is about false teachers in the last days. And brother and sister, let me tell you, you have arrived at your destination. This is not on the horizon. This is here. This is here. Listen to me carefully. We are in the time that Jude talked about, and this, this is going to blow my mind, blow your mind too maybe. Thousands of years ago, Enoch saw our day. Look, look at verse 14. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. Now, you might wonder, why does it mention the seventh from Adam there? Well, because there's two Enochs in the genealogy of Adam. One is a son of Cain. And there was a city named after him. It was called Enoch. But see, that's not the Enoch we're talking about. You see, that Enoch, he had a city named after him. But he died in the flood. And everything that he had ever achieved was wiped out. And I'm going to tell you this. If you live for the world, when you die, it's all over. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you just put whatever it is that you're living for in that verse. For me to live is money and to die is what? You ain't going to take it with you. For me to live is to be famous. You know, I, I like to watch American Idol, and that's one of my little guilty pleasures. And I probably shouldn't because it's got idol in the title, you know. But I enjoy watching these singers. But one thing you can tell, and I, I see myself in those, those guys, is you could tell they would almost sell their soul to get a record deal. They want it so bad. If I could just be famous, I'll be happy. If I just had more money, I'll be happy. Don't, don't raise your hand. But let me ask you this. Do you have it in your mind that if you just had enough money, you could be happy? Some of you think that way. I challenge every one of you, if you think that, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Because here's a man that was probably the richest man in the world. He had everything that money could buy. 
he had achieved everything that could be possibly achieved. And he looked over it and he said, this is all vanity of vanities. It don't mean a thing without God. It means nothing without God. All right, let's get back to Jude. He's the seventh from Adam. There's nothing accidental in the Bible. There's a reason Enoch falls seven. That seven is that perfect number in the Bible. We may talk more about this next week. Probably will. So go ahead and start praying for me. Hopefully you do on a regular basis anyway. He's the seventh from Adam. And we find out that he was a prophet. Did you know that? Enoch was a prophet. Genesis didn't tell us he was a prophet, but he is. You know something else I discovered this week, and I never had thought about it before? Jesus said that Abel was a prophet. Cain's brother? He, he, he made Abel, he, he links him with the prophets. That's your homework assignment. You find that this week. And if you, if you can find where it is and show it to me, I'll give you a lollipop next Sunday. <laughs> but it's only for the first one that shows me. And uh, we got to get some lollipops, Misty. I don't know where we're going to get them, but. Um, Enoch was a prophet he prophesied of who? the false teachers saying behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints wow now Enoch lived before the rapture was revealed so Enoch's prophesying of the only thing he can conceive of that's the second coming do you realize that way back in Enoch's day God revealed to him the second coming of Jesus Christ He saw the day that you're living in. Notice he says that the Lord is coming not for his saints, with them. You know why? Because we're going to go up before the tribulation period. Enoch, hey, Enoch was not raptured post-flood or mid-flood. He was taken out before the flood. Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church. And I don't have time to go into all that stuff this morning, but if you, you, know, if you need a primer on that, we'll, I'll be more than glad to go through that with you. And if you disagree with me, I still love you. I love you enough to let you be wrong. <laughs> okay, sorry. He's coming. Folks, Jesus is coming to execute judgment. This, this is the second coming. See, Enoch didn't see two comings. That's, the Old Testament prophets, they just saw, you know, a piece of the picture. The first time Jesus came, he didn't come in judgment. He came to take our judgment. But this is the second coming. To execute judgment upon how many? Everybody is going to give an account to God. The saints and the sinner. To convince all that are among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have godly committed, and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You say, well, gosh, I wish Jude had a thesaurus. He keeps using this word over and over again, he's using it for emphasis. Four, by the way, four is the number of the world, world system. So I think this, this is intentional here. What kind of a world 
is it going to be when Jesus comes? An ungodly world. Now, this is talking about the second coming. Okay? So that means the worst is yet to come. But the church is taken out prior to that. And I'm telling you what, if you look around, things are pretty bad now. I don't know about you, but I live in a little bubble in a sense. I mean, I, I live, you know, uh, and I'm thankful to God that I live in a rural area. I went to Statesville yesterday, and I'm thank God I don't have to travel 77 every day. You know, the greatest hazard for me is, a, a, you know, what, making sure a deer don't hit me or a, or a cow or a guinea or something, you know. And I live in a boat, and we watch, Lori's not here, her mother's, uh, her grandmother's in the hospital, pray for her, but um, she had complications due to COVID. But um, Lori and I, we watch the Food Network, and we got to stop that, because I'm getting fat. <laughs> you ever watch the Food Network? You will go directly to the refrigerator. I don't care how, what degree of willpower you have. Uh, you, you need to watch the Food Network in small increments. <laughs> And I, I watch them all. I watch them cooking shows and, you know, anyway. But I live in a bubble. I don't watch mainstream media. I don't listen to, I mean, I do listen to all kinds of music, but I don't listen to stuff that's current. I've become one of those people that listens to the music they grew up with. My goodness, I used to work at Little Tom's Cafe with Tootie Bill Hampton. Any of you know Tootie Bill? And I was back there uh, washing dishes with Tootie and he he loved to play this old 50s 60s rock and roll stuff and, and I could just remember I hated that with a passion I'm like it's bad enough I'm back here as hot as blazes and I got to wash dishes and cook f fried chicken and whatever else and, and I got to listen to this garbage too and then I got a little bit older <laughs> and I realized that now in the grocery store they play the music that I grew up on and I like it. I like it. And I like to watch TV shows back from the era that I grew up in. Can I get a witness to that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I think sometimes we live in the South in the Bible bit. We don't realize how bad things are around the world. Most of this world hates God. If the statistics are right, and I think they are, 80% of the world hates Jesus Christ. We're talking about billions of people, folks. Hate Jesus. That's scary. That's the world that you live in. But the thing about Jude is Jude wasn't prophesying about the world. He was prophesying about the church. Folks, it's here. It's here. You got preachers that won't preach the truth because they know it won't draw a crowd. I've come to the point in my life, I'm not concerned about drawing a crowd. I want the church to be full every Sunday, but I'd rather please God than please man. And if the truth of God's word offends you, that's your problem. That's your problem. I, if I please men, I can't be the servant of God. I understand now why God told Jeremiah. He said, don't look at their faces when you preach. Every Sunday, I know what Jeremiah's talking about. 
Because some of y'all look happy and some of y'all do not look like happy. You like you've been baptized in lemon juice and weaned on whatever, vinegar. Come on, get happy. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. Praise God. Cares all past, home at last. We're going to rejoice. One day everything, all your problems are going to be over if you're a Christian. So, so why not practice a little bit now? Smile. It'll make you feel better. Jude prophesied. All right. I told you we'd get back to Methuselah. Interesting, 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 interesting. Remember back in Genesis, it says that after Methuselah was born, what happened? Enoch walked with God. After Methuselah was born. And when I started out studying, I thought, well, okay, Lord, he had a change of heart. He saw that baby, and that just, that just tenderized him. And, uh, and that made him want to do the right thing when that baby was born. But, you see, the other folks had babies too, right? Seth had babies. Mahalalel had babies. Yared had babies. But something about Enoch's baby triggered him to walk with God. Now, our proper names in Hebrew are transliterated in the Bible. That means that they're, and I explained this briefly last week, transliteration is different than translation. Transliteration is taking something that sounds very similar, okay? Like the name of God, the tetragrammaton, those four consonants. You can't translate that purely into English. And so the best we can come up with is Yahweh or Jehovah, transliterated. The proper names, and every one of those names, by the way, in Hebrew has a meaning. Methuselah, his name means his death shall bring. His death shall bring. Now, that's a pretty somber name to name a child, right? Or literally, when he dies, it will come. That's what his name means. When he dies, it will come. You may or may not have done the math in the Bible. In the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. The flood of Noah came. So I believe, and there's many really guys a whole lot smarter than me that I got to doing some research and they, they saw that too. That Enoch named Methuselah in response to a revelation he got from God that the flood was coming. Now I don't know if he knew it was a flood. He just knew there was a judgment coming. And that's why he named this boy when he dies, his death will bring. And so I don't think the flood came as a surprise to any of those guys. I really don't. Even when you get to Noah, uh, and I don't have time to get into all this, but when, when Noah's father names him, I think he expects him to be the Messiah because he says that he will comfort us concerning the curse. He thinks that Noah's going to take the curse away. He was misguided, as we often are. But, but he knew. He looked for some catastrophic event to take place and for the Messiah to reverse the curse. 
I said all that to say that Enoch lived for God in a time when judgment was imminent. And, and I could just imagine that with a name like that, everybody watched Methuselah because his death signals something on the horizon. And that gives us some insight, I think, I think, to why, out of all the men in the Bible, Methuselah lived longer than anybody else. It was a statement of the mercy of God. It was a statement of the mercy of God. God said, judgment is coming. And Noah got further revel re revelation. Noah understood that the flood, that the judgment would be a flood, okay? Enoch just knew there'd be a judgment. But Noah got the revelation that there would be a flood. And he prepared accordingly. Interestingly enough, there's only two people that the Bible says walked with God. One is Enoch, and the other is Noah. I don't think it's an accident there. Both of these men walked with God. And so, for 969 years, God says, judgment is coming, but I'm going to give everybody a chance. I'm going to let this man, this man who is a symbol of the mercy of God. You ever read that in 2 Peter? I know you have because I just preached on it. Where it talks about that God waited in the days of Noah. That the long-suffering of God, that he waited. Why did he wait? Because he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But what's the tragedy? The tragedy is that even though everybody knew it was coming, Methuselah is like a walking billboard. His name. Even though everybody knew a judgment was coming, only eight people survived the flood. The flood eventually came. Methuselah did not live forever. But Enoch did. Because he walked with God. I'm going to leave you with this thought. How you live will determine how you leave. How you live will determine how you leave. Every day, people are leaving this world in droves. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever seen, you know, we were joking about the obituaries, but I don't know if I've ever seen so many of my classmates and people that I know personally die. Maybe that's a function of me getting older, it probably is. But it just seems like death is just rampant these days. It's not just COVID. It's not just elderly people. Young people too. We're all going to leave this world one way or another. One way or another. Believer, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day to give an account of your life, what you did with your time, your talent, your treasure. And for some, they're going to have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. But Paul says there's going to be some, there's going to be saved, but all their work's going to burn up. Because nothing was done with a pure motive for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul used that as a motivating factor. He says, that's why we persuade men. We plead with men, because one day we'll have to stand before the Father and before Jesus Christ to give an account. 
And how you live will determine how you leave this world. Do you want your children to serve God? You better walk with God. Do you want your grandchildren to walk with God? You better walk with God. I believe that the reason Noah walked with God is because Enoch walked with God. There's so much overlap with these guys. You don't realize this, but when Enoch was born, Adam was still alive. <laughs> we'll talk some more about their genealogies at a later point. But Enoch was born. Adam was still alive. To share with him his experience of being expelled from the garden and what a tragedy it was to walk with God and then all of a sudden have the whole thing gone in a flash. And I believe that Noah, his witness, excuse me, Enoch's witness stood as a testimony to Noah that he could walk with God even in a dark world. Enoch walked with God in the midst of a very ungodly time. Some of you may know this about me. Uh, my my great-great-great-grandfather was a prolific preacher. He was a prolific preacher. During his tenure, he baptized more people in the Baptist church than anybody in the state of North Carolina. He, had, he, had, he was one of the pioneers of a lot of these churches in Anson County. Uh, and I didn't learn that until recently. And he, he's, a, he's a marvelous testimony. But I'm going to tell you who had the most profound effect on me. This is real personal for me. And that was my granddaddy, Ralph Talbush. He was a, a modern-day Enoch. Now, thank God for my great-great-great-grandfather, E.L. Davis, and his accomplishments. I'll never be half the man he was or have the, any of the ministry that he ever had, maybe, unless God does something radical here. And I hope he does. I hope he does. Ralph Talbush was a, uh, he was a very humble man. He grew up in a... Real, in an impoverished family in, uh, in rural Alabama and he said that his, his father was such a disciplinarian that he, used just, he would horse whip him until he bled that was kind of life that he grew up in and he, he worked his way uh, he got a job in the steel mill working for U.S. Steel uh, eventually became a businessman and, and owned his own uh, shoe store, had a, a couple of stores that he owned and, um, just a tremendous worker but he to my knowledge he never preached a sermon but he was a faithful layperson in his church every Sunday he would go and I remember he would get he didn't believe in tithing he didn't believe in tithing but he gave more than 10 percent he and he would always give in cash because he didn't want there to be any record he'd just have a wad of cash and I remember seeing him do that. And I remember on Saturday nights, he would sit in that chair. He had a favorite chair. He would sit and read his Bible. And uh, I was a little kid. We had, uh, I spent my summers in Alabama, and we had uh, enough kids to form a baseball team out there in that neighborhood. And we'd, we'd get out there, and we had a wiffle ball league. Anybody remember wiffle ball? Do they still play wiffle ball? That's that ball with the holes in it, right? That's it. That's it. Plastic bat and plastic ball with holes in it. And you could, you, know, you could hit it, and it wouldn't go ten, 10 miles down the road. That was the principle behind it. Well, we would play wiffle ball in the yard, and, uh, and Granddaddy, that's what I called him, he would say, you kids want to come in for a cold drink? And, of course, everybody wanted a soda. I mean, that was a, a real treat on a hot summer day. And, I, and we'd get those kids would all come in the house, and Granddaddy would start telling a Bible lesson. And I would think, oh, why is he doing this? 
he's doing it again. And he would, you know, he'd tell us about Noah and the ark or Jonah and the whale or whatever, something that was tailored to our age group. But looking back now, I can see that was an Enoch that walked with God. He never did anything extraordinary. He never had his name in a bulletin. Never preached a sermon. But he walked with God. And he showed me what it was to live. And he died. I mean, he died young, relatively speaking. He died. He had an acute leukemia, which was a quick kill. It can be a really quick killer. And uh, he, he died very suddenly. But he, I was in the hospital room with him. And I, I, prom I don't know why I'm sharing all this this morning, but somebody must need to hear it because I don't like to be so personal in my, my sermons. But in the last days of his life, I was with him in the hospital there in Birmingham. And we had spent, we were taking shifts, you know, staying with him all night and all day. And he had been in a, almost in a comatose-like state from the chemotherapy. It was just taking its toll on him. And he stood up on the bed, and he looked at me, and he said, Henry, uh, he said, the Lord just appeared to me. And he said, he told me, he said, I've been with you since you were a little boy. And he said, it's time for you to go home. And he died within a few days of that. And I was so angry. And I was so bitter. And I wasn't saved at the time. I was so angry and so bitter that God had taken my granddaddy away. Because I'd watched him. He lived a godly life. And I thought, man, this is not, if anybody should die, it shouldn't be him. That's not fair. It's just not fair. God, why are you taking him away? But now as a middle-aged fella, I can look at Enoch. And in Enoch, I see a guy that, relatively speaking, died young. Would you agree? I mean, he didn't die, but he left the world young. Relatively speaking. You ever read the book of Hebrews chapter 11? And, and it mentions all those heroes of the faith. By faith, Abraham received, you know, he bore children. Sarah, she received strength to conceive seed. By faith, David did this. By faith, uh, Noah built the ark. By faith. And then you get on to this last little uh, list of people, and it says, and others. Nameless people. People that probably the world didn't care anything about. Others suffered terrible hardship. And I'm paraphrasing here. But there's a little phrase in there. And it says, of these people, the world was not worthy of them. And I look back at my granddaddy now, and I realize he had to go early because the world was not worthy of him. Enoch lived his life in such a way that the world was not worthy of him. God says, I can't leave you here. Come on home. Would you stand?